Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Kid Anderson, and you are listening to Talking Blues with Maku Funasaka. So, I first interviewed you many, many years ago in Natarden, I believe. I seem to remember meeting you, and your hair was black. <laughs> 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 oh yeah, back then. <laughs> but was that in, that might have been in Memphis? That was in Notodden. Either Memphis or Notodden. I mean, it's, uh, that's weird, I can't tell the two apart, but... <laughs> you have done quite well since I first met you. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, that's, uh, I never, you know, I never had, you know, uh, uh, aspirations or plans or, uh, uh, you know... Uh, Hopes to do well, but I guess in some ways I have. Let <laughs> yeah. me go back. So I met you in Natarden, and I think one of the things was that you were the local boy who had done well. Um, and this is many, many years ago. And by that time, I presume you had already been living in the States. Yes. Tell me about yes. growing, growing up in Norway and discovering the blues. I um, started playing guitar when I was 11. I started playing guitar because my second cousin lived uh it was like my sort of like my older brother he lived right down the street and uh he at the time there was like um there seemed to be like a wave of guitar you know people playing guitar like all the 15 year old kids all had a guitar and they all played guitar it's about 19 and what did they play like what kind of music do they play um i can't speak for all of them but my my second cousin, who was my you know, my initial inspiration for playing guitar and my guitar teacher, um, oddly enough, because this is in 1989, 90, 91, and uh, he liked the Beatles, he liked Chuck Berry, he liked Elvis, he liked what you even then would call oldies. You know, all this stuff is like you know sounds really bizarre. You know, now that I think about it. I'm I you know I was a uh, I was ten. I was ten when I became interested in playing guitar, and I got a guitar on my eleventh birthday. And uh, I had already gone through a phase where I liked, uh, you know, I, I remember, I remember, I loved Guns and Roses. You know, I liked like metal bands uh, uh, when I was eight or nine. Kiss, Kiss was the first band that got me really into music. You know, interested in music, but I didn't play anything at the time. Um, so I was like, I was like eight. Nine years old, and I like Kiss and Guns N' Roses. Uh, not a whole bunch of other stuff. I mean, you know, I didn't really have that active a social life on the music scene at age nine. So uh, <laughs> it was like whatever cassette tape my sister would lend me, basically. But so, but I was I was you know I had a real interest in music. You know the th the thing of you know being in a band looked you know of course they looked very they looked awesome. You know I mean. Who doesn't think that? Ever since they woke me up for my first school day when I was six years old, I, you know, I was going, how long do I got to do this shit for? <laughs> and they, and they, <laughs> and they uh, like, well, at least 11, 12 years. Like, oh, mother. Um, you know, I was, I was looking for a way out. <laughs> and then <laughs> that was the most, you know, you saw that. Oh, fuck, being in a band. That's, that's like, that's the thing. So that's, um, you know, I wanted to do that, but, um, I was 11 when I first started. For some reason, you know, by the time I was 11 and then started playing guitar, I was like, I was over Guns N' Roses. I was over, <laughs> you know, I, I, 
It's actually around the time that they started becoming really popular. You know, they came out with like their second album, and all, and then then everybody my age was listening to you know shit that I listened to, and I was like, I I didn't want to hear about any of it. I was just listening to fucking Chuck Berry, and the Beatles. I loved Elvis, Lil Richard, uh, the Shadows. I don't know if you remember the, the Shadows, a British band with a. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, and it's like oldie stuff that my uh, my second cousin was, uh, you know, who taught me guitar. That's what, you know, that's what he played. First thing he taught me was uh, Day Tripper uh, by the Beatles and uh, Guitar Boogie Shuffle, stuff like that. Did, did playing the guitar come easy to you? I guess so. Because um, I had a couple of stumbling blocks the first couple hours or something, I guess. Before <laughs> I learned how to tune the thing, you would not... I, I do I do, I, I do remember that you know you know everything seemed to go pretty fast back then. I started on acoustic, as you know, which was the style at, at the time. You had to kind of like you know work your way up to an electric. You know, your parents wouldn't just buy an electric guitar, but they buy a cheap acoustic. And if you, you know, if you can like get somewhere with it, then they might upgrade you to an electric guitar for your you know, next birthday or Christmas. And uh, so I, I did after a couple of months. I got I got a. I got my first electric guitar. I started playing January, and in April I was, you know, doing my first show like, um, like high in the cafeteria at the school. Wow! Uh, and it was a com- it was a complete disaster. Uh, <laughs> Why? My guitar wouldn't stay in tune, and and uh, so I kept I would just uh, stop the song. The band was consisted of only me. It was me and my. One year, younger friend, my neighbor, uh, Daglish, he was, I was 11, he was 10. And I learned how to play drums so that I could teach him to be my drummer. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember who taught me how to play drums. <laughs> and I'm still not, you know, I'm not an accomplished drummer at all. I just know enough to... Uh, to give very clear and concise orders to a drummer, <laughs> so <laughs> um, that it was a disaster. You know, I, I, my guitar kept going out of tune, and I would stop the song and I go, "Stop, Daglish, stop!" <laughs> and I would tune real loudly. I would look over at my my cousin Mots, who 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 was my teacher, uh, and I would be like, "Is it is it is it in tune now?" <laughs> so I mean, this happened. Several times, and, and it, it happened. I, just, I mean, I, I did that several times in the show, uh, you know, which I'm probably we only did like three, four songs at the most. Uh, I mean, it felt like a pretty big gig at the time. But, um, when I went home after that, you know, I just remember, I just remember being in bed crying. It just, you know, because I was like, ah, I was, I'm terrible. It's, you know, it's, I screwed it all up. I, I failed. And and uh, you know my dad came. My, my dad was like, you know, he was he was consoling me, I think. But I I don't remember him saying it wasn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> I have no recollection of him saying, no, no, it was good. <laughs> but uh, the thing that is probably the reason I remember is because the next day when I you know when I went to school, several of the kids from school who saw it came up to me and they go they go that's the best 
that's the funniest show we've ever seen. Who came up? Who came up with that bit? Uh, yeah, who, who who came with that was the fun, you know that was, you think, well, that was the funniest gag we've ever seen. Who came up with it? And I was, uh, you know, it <laughs> it it was not intended to be comedy, but uh, but it, it it worked as such. So you know, I guess that was a you know maybe better than uh, nothing. <laughs> but you know, somebody saw us at that thing and and wanted us to come and play open for their band at the at the at the local movie theater. And, wow. Yeah, the first time I like really had any kind of, you know, significant, you know, uh, career, <laughs> career spurt, was actually when I went to um, Notodden for they had the Youth Blue Seminar. I know you probably heard of that. Um, yeah. And uh, I went there. Um, I went there in the you know, um, I think I was I was thirteen. Did you know much about blues at that point? Yes, I mean, I for for a thirteen year old, I mean, because I'd already uh, met Morton Omlid, okay, and, and started taking lessons with him at twelve. I was twelve years old when we started, and at that particular time, I had also heard Steve Ray Vaughan, and the the first person I heard that they said was blues was Robert Cray. There was a there was like a news report from, I believe from the Noton Blues Festival, and I believe it was Robert Cray. I, I I've since checked the programs to see like, which year did I see this, and and it it doesn't quite add up. <laughs> but I just remember sitting at my grandma's house, and there was a doc there was a, um, you know, report on the Norwegian news, from the Noton Blues Festival, and, I, saw what I think was. Robert Cray and Richard Cousins, you know, on on stage with Strat and the P bass, just playing a slow shuffle, you know, going dum 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 dum. I didn't know what blues was. I'd heard about it. I'd heard the name, but but I didn't know what it was. And I saw that those two guys and that groove, and I go, "That's blues. That's the coolest shit I've ever heard." You know, and that's. That that's that was the first thing that attracted me to blues. How much exposure would you have had to live music, living in Hare, Norway? I mean, I've seen human beings perform on instruments. <laughs> uh, you know, that wasn't on t- <laughs> okay. that wasn't on TV. Uh, okay, I'd okay, been to so. I'd been to concerts with. A, I think I went to I went to a, con- a concert one time with a '80s Norwegian rock band. You know, with the big hair and shit. I think they were called Da Vinci. At that time, I nothing. I, I hadn't seen anybody. I didn't, you know, I see. I just that's why the, the 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 image of Robert Cray and Richard Cousins playing a slow shuffle. It, it's just uh, you know, it just it was burnt in my retina. You know, it might have gotten a little. You know, I may remember some of that shit incorrectly because, like I said, I, I could I couldn't find them on the program, but um. Right. But then I also saw Steve Ray. It was mostly, you know, it was TV and uh, radio and, and records. And then uh, for me, it was Morton, you know, meaning you know, he just passed away a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, on the 24th, I think. You know, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, not just how great he was, but like how, how, how like, and how lucky I was to, to uh, you know, to, to meet him and, and, and at that time and, and that guy, because, you know, I didn't really realize 
until maybe even maybe not even until now, just how unique he was. You know, there's not many people who like take twelve year old kids under their wings and and send them home with stacks full of T Bone Walker and and um, Freddie King records. You know, that was um. And then again, most twelve year olds probably wouldn't be all that fucking interested in it. So. <laughs> no, but I mean, he has. Over the years, taught a lot of kids and influenced a lot of kids, right? I, I think, yeah. I, I, I suppose he has. Um, I mean, he's uh, he's always you know been involved in you know the the you know the blues seminars. This all all kind of, you know. I think they're starting a blues university. I mean, they're they they were doing uh, they were doing a whole bunch of um, you know stuff for like you know blues in the schools type of stuff, and I'm sure he's had guitar students. Uh, that's uh, you know, and and um, you know, he always had a a, a job, uh, but in music, in the music business, in in, in sort of, you know, in like a um, org, you know, like an organizer, um, you know, he worked, uh, you know, with music programs for the government, stuff like that. As you know, he's a, he's a smart dude, and he's you know, he's not he's not just like a you know a guy who's just sitting around waiting for somebody to give him a gig, you know. I mean, they're you know they're very uh, him and Yostein and uh, and and that everybody there you know they you know they they uh, they're very creative. They do a lot with. I mean, the blues has done a lot for their town and and for them, and and uh, you know they're they're very creative with bringing it to uh, young people and uh, I don't I don't I don't you know it's, it's it still sounds you know it still sounds like a, when they tell me about it it still sounds like a job so I kind of tune it out. <laughs> but yeah, but it kind of changed your life. Oh, it's it's it sure as hell, it sure as hell did. Um, I mean, I was um, I I met Morton at um. It was another you know like a youth culture camp thing, some kind of you know you got a fucking pamphlet for it in your school and it says you know you can go to this thing this weekend and they have you know people teach you how to paint people do that, and there's a blues guitar teacher i go oh sh- i want to go there and um that was in no and i went from you know my little town of hedda and uh you know my parents drove me there and, and and dropped me off this is before the actual blues seminar this is like a little mini thing that i just you know, I guess I, I guess I, you know we just heard about it and it sounded like something for me, and they took me there and I met Morton, and I already could play a bit, and at that time I was you know very, uh, I had just discovered Steve Ray Vaughan, and and that was totally dominating everything I wanted to do you know, and so I meet this guy and he's playing a Fender Strat and he's playing blues and he's, he told me after the you know after the thing was over he said that. If I would like to, uh, you know, he'd love to give me private lessons uh, if if uh, if I was interested. And my dad was there, and I said, yeah. It was Noton is an hour and a half away from where I grew up. My dad would drive me every every other Tuesday. He would drive me an hour and a half to Morton's house, and for an hour and a half, we'd sit and play, listen to music, and then my dad would. You know, reading the newspaper and uh, drink coffee, I guess. And uh, he come pick me up and go an hour and a half back. And we do that every other Tuesday for a couple of years. 
and everything he said is, is ingrained in my in my brain. All the records that was part of the deal too. He would we would you know he would show me stuff on guitar. We would talk about you know playing, and he would select a stack of albums for me. And uh, the very first time I went there, yeah, because I remember he asked me a question. I go, so what guitar players do you, you know, listen to, like, besides Steve Ray Vaughan? At the time, I literally couldn't think of anyone. Yeah, I said, well, I kind of used to, I used to, like, kiss. So I guess Ace Freely? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was, I was very, uh, I was, I was very into that one thing. So... So he goes, well, here's all the guys that Steve Ray Vaughan used to listen to. I go, oh, really? Because I'd read some of their names in, in uh, you know, in, in guitar magazines and stuff. And, and, you know, I was the type that I love Steve Ray Vaughan. That's, you know, I, I guess a lot of people find somebody like that and they just go, well, that's it. Um, I'm going to, you know, that's, I'm going to be into this guy and what he does from now on. Uh, my first instinct was, I, you know, I bought... He had also just died. He died in 1990, and I started playing in 1991. And uh, so there were all these guitar magazines out that were like tribute magazines, and they had multiple interviews with him. And in all the interviews, he would talk about you know, guys like Lightning Hopkins. He would talk like, about Jimi Hendrix. He would talk about Hubert Sumlin, uh, Albert King, of course. You know, And I would go out of my way to, to check these guys out, you know. And and Morton was a huge help with that because he had their records, <laughs> and uh, and it wasn't easy to find. I mean, you couldn't find that stuff anywhere in Norway. Um, and and he helped me. You, know, you know, he just yeah, he hit all those records that I um, that I uh, borrowed and taped, you know, dubbed on cassette tape from him. Like every one of them was like ingrained in my DNA at this point, and. I was just, you know, it's just absurdly lucky, I think, at least for being, you know, in, in the blues world, that, you know, I got to actually, I'm one of the few people that actually heard Stormy Monday first by T-Bone Walker. <laughs> and then when I was in high school, it was, and, you know, all my friends listened to, you know, rock and roll, and we were, you know, they were hippies, and, you know, I would check out, like, all my brothers and shit. You know, I go... That's not their song. <laughs> Same with Led Zeppelin. When I first when I first heard Led Zeppelin, I go, "What the fuck are these guys doing? This is you know this, this is killing floor. Why is it called the Lemon Song? You know that's <laughs> so. I mean, it's absurd because ninety nine, you know, percent or probably way more of of anybody you know who's who ended up be, being big blues fans. You know, got there through the other way. You know, through uh, mm -hmm. you know, through the bands that were popular to in in their generation and their culture, and then they, you know, they they hopefully worked their way back to the blues from there. But shit, I, I you know, bizarrely enough, I I started with it. I was a total stone blues Nazi. I mean, I was uh, blues purist. You know, brought from the age of twelve to uh, I want to say fourteen or fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> as, a, as a matter of fact, if like I, I told you, I, I would um, borrow albums from Morton, and 
I would dub them, you know, on my parents' stereo. I could, you know, I put them on a cassette, and I can listen to the cassette when we're driving somewhere. But if I borrowed something, and there were, like, tunes on there that weren't 12-bar blues, I'd skip them. <laughs> I didn't make it onto my tape. <laughs> so, okay, so you obviously benefited from from the, the school programs that Natadden Blues Festival sponsored or supported. What did that actual festival do for you in in exposing you to some amazing blues? Oh, that's a uh, well. For one thing, I kind of I kind of grew up with you know the Nolton Blues Festival. It's like this. I mean, if you play it there, you're like you know you're big time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there was there was there was that you know everybody could tell that this wasn't just some shit that was popular in locally. You know that this if event was like you know a world class recognized uh, blues festival and um i went to the blues seminar that they do too that that's not i met morton at this other thing um that was like a short seminar i mean i went to the blues seminar where they you know you i was 13 and for a week they you know they send you to like a, a a camp with other you know kids your age or up to like maybe 18 and you got to form bands, and you got to uh, learn, you know, learn blues songs and play, and then, and then the, uh, you know, the big finale is that you do a performance at the Noton Blues Festival. You know, it's not a paid gig, and 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 you know, in the vein that I've become accustomed to now. <laughs> As a matter of fact, you pay to be on the seminar, but it it was totally worth it. Because. <laughs> uh, at 13 years old, I'd absorbed a lot of sh- stuff, you know. I'm not really, uh, I-, I could play a little bit. And, um, I, I mean, I was above average, you know, skilled, I, I would think. And, uh, you know, so when I played on that blue seminar, there was this guy, Junior Haugen, uh, who you might have met. And he, um, he was, uh, he didn't say anything, he was all uh, undercover, but he was a, uh, he went to see the blues seminar performance, you know, with all the all the youth, all the you know youth blues bands that have uh, formed at the blues seminar, and um, he was a talent scout for a, a a new TV show that that was uh, you know not just a talent show but it was a talent show where you competed against kids from all over the world, and you know he discovered me, <laughs> so, so uh, I uh, he asked me. Or my parents, if, if you know, there's this, this, this new TV show. Uh, the host of the TV show, Don Berger, very famous. It was like Jay Leno. You know, he's like that, for Norway, he's that famous. And, uh, we're, you know, we were completely starstruck. And uh, I went and I played Hideaway by Freddie King. Morton was coaching me. And, and, and I was the first Norwegian um, to advance wow. <laughs> in this in this talent show, that was in, in, in round two, I, I won with Hideaway. I played the guitar behind my head. They loved me. In round two, there was a, they had a fucking uh, 10-year-old boy soprano from Germany. <laughs> we, we, big, big head of blonde hair, looked like a mushroom. And, and, uh, and, and uh, there was no beating him. Because <laughs> he, he was, you know, A, he was like, you know, like a fucking prodigy, you know, like a world-class talented dude. And because they had an audience 
you had, you know, you can win either by wooing the audience or the jury, the judges, the experts. You know, this guy won both. Uh, okay what did that experience do to you um well that was very interesting because when i when when i did the first show you know the the first round i won i came home to my small town had a town of 1500 people in norway and i was in all the newspapers there's like three local newspapers in the area, and I was in every one of them when I came back. I mean, it was yeah, it was it was it was uh, it was my first uh, uh, you know first um, encounter with fame. Uh, you know, first uh, what do you call it? Brush my first brush with with uh, you know with fame and success, and they gave me money too. Not bad. <laughs> there, there was a cash prize just for advancing at it. I mean, I think it was a thousand bucks, maybe uh, depending on the currency, maybe a little more. Um, but I only made like five bucks before that, you know, playing playing music. <laughs> so, so um, you know, it felt like it, like I blew up after the after the first show, and and I won. I was the first Norwegian to advance, and you know, I didn't. You know, the town I'm from is very small, and they have a very small town. And small town Norwegian mentality is very much—they don't want you to do too good. And 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 and, and this was—I was definitely definitely pushing it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I would, you know, I would I would always you know get shit about you know oh you oh, you're you know you're you're playing guitar or you know you're good at something you must you know you must just really need the attention and you know it, it's a it, it's a they have a real <laughs> shitty attitude towards um somebody excelling and 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 uh, you know standing out in in uh, especially in small towns in norway i, I didn't particularly i didn't particularly like it like it you know i didn't like growing up i didn't like you know i felt you know as you probably can tell i was you know had kind of different interests than everybody else, and, and you know, always you know, a bit you know, a bit of an outsider in, in many ways, and then, but combine that with just all of a sudden, I, I'm like temporarily, uh, temporarily as it would turn out, really famous. Um, it was very, it was very strange, but awesome. But the second time when the little German kid beat me, no, what, not one paper. Uh, they all wrote about me when I was on my way to Oslo to to for the contest, you know. After I lost, nobody, not one interview, not one picture, and you know, I went back into obscurity. And uh, and uh, how did that make you feel? Uh, well, I was pretty sure I had peaked. <laughs> you know, I go, well, that was it. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, I was, I was like, I was like fourteen then. Because it was the second time. I was 14, and I was like, oh, that's as good as I'm ever going to do. <laughs> Shit. I used to have to keep going to school or something. <laughs> but I, I, by this time, are you thinking that you want to be a musician? I, w- I want to be a musician before I even, you know, before I even played an instrument. Um, I told you I didn't like getting up early to... Uh, to do that uh, damn school thing. <laughs> but... Uh, um, I found like old essays and shit from uh, when I was, you know, just starting at 11, 10 years old. And 
they say, I mean, they literally say, you know, I want to be a musician, and I'm thinking I should probably move to America. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, yes, and you can play concerts, but you also can get a lot of work in the studio. Wow. <laughs> that, that's like, I, I, I wrote that. So you knew this. Uh, <laughs> so I haven't changed much. I mean, <laughs> so you had, would, you, would it be correct to say that you did have a plan to make it to, to the U.S.? That was the goal? Oh, plan is relative. <laughs> you know, I had a drive, I guess, you know, uh, but I'm, I don't have a plan for today. Um, I don't have, you know, I don't have any, you know, goals or any, any of that stuff that people, you know, say that you should have. I mean, at this point, man, it's all fuck. It's all gravy from here. That's uh, you know, I've I've been so lucky, gotten to do so many of the, the things that, eleven, twelve year old, fifteen year old me would, you know, would would, would be incredibly excited about. Uh, that uh, you know, I don't need no, I don't need any more goals, or, uh, or, or or certainly a plan. The. Uh, I mean, my my plan has just always been to, you know, be be prepared and make the best out of whatever comes along, or whatever opportunities comes along, and uh, and that's you know that's, that's what I always uh, that's what I always did after uh, after high school, you know, when when I had to like you know move out of the house and um, well I didn't have to, but it seemed like the thing to do. <laughs> but you moved to Oslo. Yes, I moved to Oslo. And to join the house band at Muddy Waters Club. That's right, that's right. In my history, there, you know, it, and it's kind of, I mean, it's, there seems like there's, you know, there's kind of like a big lull uh, from, you know, from, uh, you know, from like when I was like, let's say from when I met Morton and I got on TV and that shit, uh, you know, to, 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 um, to when I moved to Oslo and Muddy Waters, you know. When I moved to Oslo, I went to a, I went to a music high school, um, where, you know, just be, because, well, I had to go to a high school. <laughs> they, so they said, <laughs> and uh, you know, that sounded more inviting than any of the other uh, options, and it was it was cool. I, you know, I um. There wasn't anybody there who was into the music I was into, um, and I, I they did they assigned me a guitar teacher in Oslo because you get it's, it's you know the school system in Norway is pretty great man I mean you could you could get you know whoever you wanted in the country if they would agree to be your teacher that the school would pay for it yeah. Uh, I didn't know anybody. I couldn't think. I, I, I didn't know anybody in Norway that that that, that you know that that that. Uh, I mean, I was you know I was just listening to uh, you know old old black guys in in America and 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 a lot of them did. So they they, right. they you know they're not going to get a teacher's license in the in, in Oslo, I believe. So. So you know, so so they you know, I got this guy, uh, and he was he was like a Latin jazz. He played, well, he was also like an orchestra, I mean, um, TV orchestra pit player. It means that motherfucker can play anything, and 
he was a monster player, unbelievably good on guitar, uh, you know, I thought. And, you know, I kind of just went, well, shit, if there's guys like this, you know, running around in Oslo, in Norway, you know, if there's guys like this running around, I'll never get a gig. You know, I don't stand a chance in hell to be a musician. If there's, you know, guys this this skilled, and, and, and he's not even famous. <laughs> <laughs> so at that point in my life, which... I don't know, I was 17, I guess, which is, doesn't sound so, you know, doesn't sound so um, dramatic now. Uh, but, <laughs> but um, you know, I, I was thinking, well, you know, I could maybe I can get a, you know, I can get a job maybe in a record store. I, I did get a, you know, job in a, in a you know, CD store selling CDs. And I suppose I could have, like, a, you know, job because I did, you know, like that they paid. Um, and, uh, you know. Maybe like go to jams on the weekend or something. To see. That's that's where my mind was at when I moved to Oslo. But I just I just I knew, you know, I mean I didn't go to like I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna take this place over and show everybody, you know. I, I'm basically my attitude was basically like, well, there's nothing that I really want to do, you know, except ex- do music, and and. Uh, you know, so I'm just going to do it. You know, I'm just going to do it even though I didn't have, you know, particularly, uh, I didn't think my prospects were too good. Uh, but by playing music, you mean playing blues? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I was listening. Were you open to other things? Well, like I said, for when I was at, when from about 12 to 14 or 15, I was a, you know, I was a full-blown, uh, you know, decorated uh <laughs> blues, uh, blues police, blues policeman. Uh, later on, you know, as I, when I was, uh, when I was about fifteen or sixteen, I, I told you I started. I worked. I worked in a record store, and CD stores, as they were at the time. Um, and and you know that that was my thing. I would just always go to, you know, record stores, look for blues records, you know listen to everything and they would let you listen there you know they would always let you listen in the uh, in the store so that's where I would check out a lot of my music because you know I couldn't just freely buy any CD and shit I wanted so there were there was you know there was a couple of like older guys working there that noticed me uh, and mainly the one guy I'm talking about he's a musician that I play with to this day um, and he was you know and, and they were guys that that, that were they were musicians, and they, you know, they they loved blues, and they thought it was cool as shit that I was into that, and they started also turning me on to other stuff, you know. I think it started with Little Feet. That was that was that was the first band uh, my that my my friend Frederick played for me to try and like ease me into something that wasn't straight blues, <laughs> and then <laughs> and then and then you know and then you know once I open up my you know, I mean, I was I was focusing on blues for the you know for the wrong reasons. You know, because I I guess I had, I thought, you know, like so many people, it, it's like, you know, they're more defined by what they don't like than what, what, by what they do like. Right. And and um, you know, my teen later teenage years, I just went on a quest to learn everything I could about every kind of music I could possibly. But because at the same time, I'm hanging out with these older dudes who who uh. You know who know the whole. You know they know 
shit ton about rock and roll, all the, you know, the whole history of rock and roll. I'm going to a music school where the closest you have to somebody who plays stuff like I do is there's a bunch of guys who play jazz. And I'm, I'm learning about jazz shit. And I'm going to school at a music school in Norway. The main curriculum is classical music, you know, which for the first uh, year, I just, I detested it. I mean, I hated that I had to, uh, you know, learn anything about it, listen to it, you know. It was worse than math. <laughs> and then, you know, and, and then also, I, I went into that phase, which I think, you know, I think a lot of musicians do, where you just, you're like insatiable, and you would just, you know, absorb and listen to anything that anybody tells you is, is good, you know. And that was, that's great. You know, I learned a, a ton about all kinds of music, you know. So I'm a, you know, I, I, I'm a huge fan of, you know, back then I started listening to country music. I listened to jazz. I mean, any, anything. There's nothing, there's no genre or, or anything that I, you know, that I just can't get behind. In one way, all music is the same, you know. And in a bunch of ways, it's different. But... <laughs> well, what did that do for your playing? Is this, you know, that's stuff that took, like, a long time to develop. Um, and I think, I really think that I haven't started playing anywhere close to... Uh, the way I should be playing, which is like myself, you know, maybe the last 10 years, maybe something like 15, my, you know, there's a playing, playing blues for me. I think for a lot of people like me, uh, it's very easy to become like, uh, you know, you got your blues, you got your blues snobs that, that, you know, that put a lot of weight on, on, on like being a scholar, and, and uh, you know, telling you that, you know, you need to listen to this and this. Like, you need to, if you're going to play that, you need to listen to this. And, you know, like the, taking an academic approach to blues, to, to, playing, to playing music. And, and, you know, and I adopted parts of that. I mean, I feel like early in my career, like when I made my first album, you really want to prove yourself. You know, you wanna, you know, you wanna put, you wanna put some. Yeah, I wanted to put something on there where I played like Otis Rush. I wanna put something on there where I play like BB King. I wanna put something on there where I play jazzy. I wanna, I wanna show everybody that I can do everything, and then they'll think I'm good. You know, that's a a, a way of thinking. You could be stuck in for a really long time. Yeah, I, th I think gradually, you know, I've, I've, you know, you had, I've had a few realizations that. You know, I have never, you know, ever wanted to uh, say to myself, man, I really feel like hearing, a, you know, I really feel like listening to a, you know, Sad Hours by Little Walter. But I think tonight I would listen to this very accurate remake instead. <laughs> <laughs> that has never happened. <laughs> so... You know, all the, all the, you know, all the, all the great blues players that, you know, that I really like, I think, you know, they're guys, they didn't do everything, you know, they did their thing and you knew what their thing was. And I mean, that's the hardest thing in the, in the world to, 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 uh, 
to develop, you know, it's in, in, and also have it be good. That's, that's, um, and, and yeah, I think part of that, you know, part of working on that is, is, uh, you know, being open, just being open to other kinds of music. And, and I, uh, I think the real value in that whole experience, because, you know, like as I went many years where I would absorb any kind of music that I thought I was supposed to, you know, like, that I thought was supposed to be good. So I should know it. And, and I would, you know, I was basically, you know, non, non-critical, which is, is great to be non-critical and open-minded and willing to, you know, willing to check out anything. And that's a great way to be. But at some point, you know, in in my probably it was, it was probably way later, maybe 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 late twenties, maybe maybe mid twenties, or maybe even my early thirties. At one point, I realized, you know, I don't like everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, you know, I don't like. I don't have to force myself to listen to. I'd say, you know. Pre-war blues, as I'm, I, yeah, I really, I really dig some of it, you know. But that's a huge universe of blues, and it's, you know, and there, there's a lot of people who, would, you know, that's just, it's just not as immediately exciting uh, to us. As, as to, you know, I see later electric blues, and I don't think a lot of people wouldn't admit that, you know, because you're supposed to like this, and you're supposed to like that, and you're, and this is, you know, uh, like I said. I was always at a war with school from the moment they woke me up at, when I was six years old and told me I had to do that, get up early in the morning to, you know, go do something for, for a, yeah, I, I was not into that. And, and uh, you know, I, I've had a lot of good mentors that have guided me in my thinking and then ultimately in my, in my playing and in my approach to music. I think that's one reason why people like. Um, I know that's one reason why people they, people like making, uh, having me produce their records. Or they like coming here and making music together, because, you know, the biggest hindrance in in, in to art is you know, to have, you know, impose some kind of limitations on yourself. As a, oh, I can't do that, on this record because this is supposed to be a blues record. You know. This you know the only thing that's truly interesting is you know can you be, you know can you be uniquely yourself, musically, right. and and I think if you're going to be didn't you know, denying or suppressing whole parts of your, of of your musical upbringing and personality, that's not good, you know if if, if you you know I, I, I you know I've I seen, lots of people who come from you know, their background is maybe in another kind of music that they're now. In the blues scene, uh, maybe they want to be in the blues scene, and you know, they'll say they like blues now, but they also really like whatever else they were playing before, and I don't think you should uh, just t- take a whole side of your personality and pretend like it's not there. There's too much fear, I think, in 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 the the way people you know, People they ask they ask themselves too many questions. Can I do this? Can I do that? Before they make music, and and uh, especially in blues, I think. I mean, not everybody does. D.K. Harold doesn't. You know, he's he's 
you know, there's a new generation of guys coming out now that's, you know, some of them are, like, fully formed. They're, like, they're like uh, they don't have that hesitation or that, um, yeah, that, that thing that makes it so you can hear a guy thinking when you hear him playing. I, I wonder, when you went to the States, yes. so you played, you played in the Muddy Waters Club for a while, backed up a lot of great musicians, a lot of Americans who toured. This is true. Terry, Terry sorry, Hank. I, sorry I got derailed. <laughs> Terry keep me on Hank track. being one keep, of them. Keep me on track. I'm supposed to be somewhere in a couple hours. <laughs> <laughs> but Terry Hank being one of them, and he invited you, obviously saw something in you, and invited you to come to the States. Had you gone to the States before that? Like, what? How Never much been there. did you know about the United States? What was that like? Well, it was not what I thought it would be like, you know? Um,. I mean, eventually it was, but um, going here, that was my, you know, when I got that gig in Muddy Waters, it was a great, you know, it was a, that's another unbelievable stroke of luck that, that, you know, at 18, 19 years old, uh, I, I left a couple of, I left a couple of threads uh, loose out there in, in, in my ramblings, but um, um, one, one thing I was going to say, if you recall the, uh, the, the, uh, the guitar teacher I had in high school that was so good that I thought I could never be a musician. Uh, interestingly enough, one day he asked me, he says, uh, hey, where are you from? And I uh, I told him where I was from. I'm you know, from a very small town in, in Norway. It's uh, it's right, it's in the county of Bamble. Uh, that's the name of it. And he goes, isn't Vidar Busk from there? Do you know Vidar Busk? And I go, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, he is. Um, I didn't know Vidar personally at the time, uh, but I'd seen him uh, on TV. I guess, you know, I'd seen him play. I knew he was a, I knew he was a, you know, a good blues guitar player. And, uh, and my, and my guitar teacher, you know, the, the, the orchestra pit Latin jazz guy who can play circles around anybody. And he says to me, he goes, oh man, that guy's great. And I go, what the fuck do you mean? <laughs> I go, he plays like I do. <laughs> and and uh, it, it kind of baffled me because, you know, I, I have, like many musicians, I have sort of a, you know, you, you can get sort of an inferiority complex, you know, especially when you hang around guys who play more than three chords. And, <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> you know, it just kind of blew my mind that, wow, this, this guy who's like, I, you know, like an impossibly uh, uh, advanced guitar player thinks Vidar is great, but he just, but he plays shit I know, I know, you know, um, and you know, so even in, even in spite of my doubts about being you know good enough or to be a musician in Oslo, I did move just for the hell of it. I had nothing else to do. And, uh, and uh, you know, I worked a series of just, you know, shitty random jobs that I, you know, I kept getting fired for or quit, but, but just, you know, just, just to make enough to be able to live in Oslo, which is the only town you can be a musician in in Norway. And eventually I met this guy, R.C. Finnegan. You were talking about Bill Triani. Mm-hmm. Bill, when I met Billy T., I just moved to Oslo. I was 18. And 
he was he was you know obviously an American living in Oslo. He hated it, <laughs> and uh, uh, man, I was we, yeah we just we we just met through this other crazy dude from my from my hometown who who like you know he wanted to start a band with me and Bill like, like neither one of us actually wanted to play with this guy but but uh, <laughs> but I, but I sure as fuck thought Bill was really cool so um I uh you know I got to know Bill and then we met this guy RC Finnegan who was another Nor- American living in Norway um and he's uh making his living as a songwriter because that makes perfect sense because <laughs> you know, most Norwegians, their English is just, I mean, it's better than anywhere else in the world. That's not an English speaking country, uh, you know, but they still don't write very good English. <laughs> and they don't talk it good either. <laughs> uh, you know, that was his gig. But he also, you know, R.C. Finnegan, he also did, you know, bar gigs. He played on a boat. And his repertoire was just, you know, he did blues. He did soul music, Otis Redding. He he did, he played Waylon Jennings and Merle Haggard. You know, just everything that, you know, soul music, country, blues, some, you know, old-time rock and roll. It was just all the shit that I knew, and you know, and it it dawned on me that, you know, maybe I do have something. You know, that's that's actually a viable skill, you know, because I know all this music that 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 he's doing. Um, I know it. I mean, I know it inside out. I've been studying it since I was eleven, and evidently. You know, all these, uh, you know, monster jazz and fusion and, uh, and <laughs> all these other, it appears to me like much more advanced players. They don't know any of that shit. And, <laughs> and not only that, they sound, you know, they're kind of transparently square when, it, when they try and play, you know, what they think is an assimilation of it. So at least my, 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 um, Vlad the jazz guitar teacher, he he recognized that, you know. He'd recognize that in Vidar Busk. And you know, and I started like fuck yeah, I, I might I probably do have something that people want, you know. I'm I'm you know, as far as for you know, uh being a kid in Norway, I'm 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 a you know, I'm an you know, I'm an expert and an authority on, on, on American music. <laughs> and uh you know and, and What's more, people like it. <laughs> that was that was the first gig I had in Oslo was with with R. C. Finnegan, um, and he's the one to name it kid. And then after that, me and Bill together had a friend called Runa Pedersen. He was a barely serviceable drummer and a legendary drunk. And he somehow ended up getting a gig booking this club, Muddy Waters, that had just opened up. And, and that's, that's how me and Bill got that gig. And, and yeah, that's what, when I met Terry there, I was, trying, I, I was trying to get everybody to take me to America with him. <laughs> you know, that was... 
I mean, that was that was my you know end game. Um, where I mean, I, I I couldn't even tell you why at the time. I can't tell you. Well, I can tell you a few reasons why, but um, I mean, there's a couple of like offers sort of on the table um, that that I didn't I didn't move on because. Well, one of them I think was just Homesick James. You know, the club, the we we backed up Homesick James, and the uh, guy who ran the Muddy Waters Club uh, comes up to me and he's all excited. He goes, "Homesick James wants you to come and play with him in California." And I go, "Really?" I mean, <laughs> yes. He goes, "He's serious." He goes, "He told me." Send that kid to my house. I'll show him how to play guitar. I go, that's not a gig offer. That's an, <laughs> that's an insult. <laughs> and a well-deserved well deserved one. <laughs> He's 98. He lives in Fresno. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not ideal. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure he was just not offering me a gig in America. He's just telling you that I... You that I got some work to do. <laughs> uh, but what was it like when you moved to the States? Having this image of wanting to always go there. Yeah. You love the music. You get there. What's that like for you? What's the reality like? I, I don't know about reality. You're asking the wrong guy. But <laughs> I, I, it, was, it was strange. I mean, because, yeah, you... I mean... I don't know what I thought it would be like. And I don't know how it was different. I just, you know, I just remember coming here. Uh, a number one, I was hell-bent on staying. Uh, no matter what. I'm like, I, I don't, you know, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to go home with my tail between my legs, whatever. Um, I'm gonna and and to tell you the truth, Vidar Busk told me to to stick it out. He said we need somebody over there. <laughs> right before I left, me and Vidar got to you know we got to become. He was a, you know, I mean he was a, he was starting to become a rock star when I were, you know when I worked in a you know CD store as a kid, but uh, but uh, by the time I left Oslo, we'd become friends. And, uh, and he told me that because he, he'd lived in America for like four or six years, played with Rock Bottom. And uh, he told me to hang in there. And it was like, it wasn't it wasn't like a hang in there, kid. It was like a very sincere, like deep. I mean, he that's what he said. We need somebody over there. <laughs> that's what he said. And uh, I, yeah. That that was that kind of, you know, I made up my mind. I had already made up my I had already made up my mind. Sort of. I mean, it wasn't. I didn't think of, of uh, you know, defeat as an option. Uh, but uh, you know, you come here, and it's, it's not exactly the way I think it's going to be. You know, uh, like there's just a lot of shit to to, to uh, you know learn how to maneuver. I mean, you know, for a for a couple of months, when every time I'd go somewhere to eat, they said, you know, they would say, sir, would you like the super salad? And I would go, sounds good. I'll take it. You know? <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> I thought they said super, super salad. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I didn't figure just, just, just a bunch of little cultural things to figure out. Um, but was there every time where you you thought, "Oh, I'm not sure if I can make it"? No. Okay. I mean, it's from from where I sit. I don't it, think so. I don't. I mean, I, I'm glad you asked. I, I don't. I mean, it certainly wasn't always great, you know. But but I just I did not allow for that option. Yeah. No, but you, you, you know, you, you get, you join Terry's band. Yeah. Um, that's the offer before you, I mean, you play with them for a few years, then you join Charlie Musselwhite's band. Yes. Um, and then you play with John Nemeth, like things are happening quite a bit. You also play with Alvin Bishop. You're, you're playing with a lot of different people very quickly. Well, I didn't think it was quick enough at the time, but uh, <laughs> you know, in, in retrospect, I mean, I mean, I, I didn't think I got my first electric guitar fast enough, and now I think it was like three months. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I felt like, you know, the very start when I lived here, you know, it was, it was, I didn't know anybody my own age. I never met anybody my own age, you know, and. You know, it didn't take me too much later to realize, fuck people my own age. <laughs> I don't like them. Um, but, you know, I was pretty, I guess I was pretty isolated. You know, I was kind of isolated. Um, you know, I just didn't mind that so much. But, you know, I would, I would, uh, but the first, you know, playing with Terry and playing with Terry was great. I love Terry. We were just working on a new album together. No, he's, you know, he's, you know, people, I think people used to saying, you know, it's like family too much. To, I mean, there's no other way to describe it, I feel. Um, you know, I, I feel as strongly about Terry Hanks as I do about any blood relative of mine. Uh, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's like my, he's like my father. And uh, and I loved playing in his band, you know, the the Fly and Butch, the guys, you know, we're touring, we're driving around. I'm getting shit faced drunk at every turn, every chance I can get, uh, and and a lot of food, a lot of good, a lot of food, cheap. Uh, I mean, once I figured out how to work this, uh, you know, how, how to, you know how, how to maneuver myself in this, uh, you know, in this country, uh, I, I was I was I was pretty. Uh, you know, I, I went for it full force, but um, you know, the first couple of years, you know, I'm, it did feel like you know that was probably the closest I was to you know. But I never thought about moving back. But but you know, I, you know, it's not like we're you know we're not famous. You know, it's not like I, I'm not. I, I love Terry, but it's not like nobody's heard of him. <laughs> you know, he's, he's uh, uh, and. Uh, you know, we certainly, you know, don't didn't enjoy the same kind of stature that that uh, that you know of, of uh, you know the fabulous you know Kim Wilson, the fabulous Thunderbirds, or 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 even you know little Charlie and Rick Estrin, who was the first. What, was it about that uh, to reach that stature, or just to be gigging? Oh, hey man, you don't know what it's about when you're that age. Right. You know, you're just you're just doing it. 
and and uh, you know, I mean, I, but I had to, I had to admit that you know it was a little, you know, it was a. I didn't have a bunch of achievements that I could particularly brag about, you know, for quite some time. I felt, I mean, and and I mean that that's shallow, but you know, the Grammys exist because, for instance, you know, because it's a way. It's a measure of success that regular people can 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 wrap their minds around, you know. Right. When I started playing with Muscle White, I mean, it. I mean, honestly, it 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 always did mean something to me to have the people I I, I uh, you know came up with in in Norway and also to have them you know be I'll just you know impressed with what I was doing. I wanted to be a success story. Uh, you know, but I was just following, you know, uh, walking the path of my life as it, as it was laid out for me, you know, and, and I mean, that's a pretty big deal to be playing with Charlie Musselwhite. Well, when that happened, that was kind of a turning point in that aspect, you know, because now everybody I knew in Oslo, because I mean, I did, uh, you know, eventually find a blues, you know, a blues scene, you know, musicians, uh, like-minded people, some of them even close to my own age in Oslo. Um, and, and uh, you know, when, when, I, when, I, when I get the gig with Muscle White, that was, that was very cool because it's something that makes, made, made, you know, people I used to play would go, oh, wow. For sure. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a measure of success. You know, that's easy to understand. You know, that's not why I, I love playing with Charlie. It's certainly not why I love playing with Charlie now. It doesn't hurt to feel good about where you are in life. And you know, at, at some of these, uh, you know, crossroads and transitional periods, you know, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, I, I could sense that, you know, there was doubt. And I, was still, I still cared about what people thought, you know. I wanted my parents to think I was successful in doing something. Um, you know, and I wanted my friends, people I knew from back in the day, you know, I, I wanted them to think I was successful in doing something. You know, that was, that was part of the, uh, motivating factor. You know, me, I just, you know, I, I like doing what I'm, what I'm doing. I never, it seems like I have somehow like achieved, uh, a, a, an existence and, and opportunities, uh, that, that I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't even have considered them realistic in the least when I was 15, you know. I mean, thinking that I will have my own studio, that I'm playing with. I mean, I saw Rick Esther in, in, in uh, 1998 in, in, uh, in Oslo. He was the first show I saw, first at the Oslo Blues Club. First time I went like went out in Oslo, I saw Rick Esther with little Charlie. And my um, friend... Uh, Richard Yims, a harmonica player, he, uh, we're standing there and we're watching Rick and, and I was thinking to myself, man, I would love to find a guy like that to play with. Yeah, he's just, that's, that's exactly, that's exactly what I need. He seems pretty attached to that, that, uh, that Charlie dude. <laughs> so, but, but if they have somebody else like that, you know, um, and, and then, uh, my buddy Richard leans over to me and he says, "You know, he used to be a pimp." <laughs> <laughs> and 
Era bueno. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Which is uh, grossly exaggerated, to say the least. But, <laughs> but, but, you know, I got to meet my idols. I got to play with my idols. I got to become actual, like, friends and, and partners, you know, in, with a bunch of my idols. That's one thing. And, and you know, I, I get to do everything I wanted in life, you know. And I don't know how the fuck I got here because I just, you know, I just, I just, uh, you know, like I said, I just followed the path of my life as, as, as it was laid before me, you know. Uh, you know, I'm not, I don't go into fucking self-help, self-help classes or, or, you know, have a vision board. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> but... I it, the the story and I don't uh, tell me if this is out of line, but the story that I heard about the way you joined R- Rick uh-huh. Estrin and the Night Cats, I just find that pretty amazing. Is this something you opened? Absolutely. So, what I heard was basically that you had uh, a bit of a drinking issue. Yes, you had le- left the previous band. Um, I got fired, and you called me. <laughs> <I got> okay. <laughs> So you you had a bit of a drinking issue, I, yes, and then I, I, they fired yes, you. Yes, and I knew, I, I knew, you know, it's just, just uh, you know, it was a, I was in a tight spot because I didn't, you know, I wanted to, uh, you know, I had stopped drinking several times because I kept, you know, I kept fucking my life up, you know, when I, when I, you know, uh, I get, I get drunk, I get crazy, and and. Um, it was, you know, it's, it's, it was, it was a, it's a tough thing to get out of. Um, but um, yeah, in 2000, at the end of 2007, I quit Muscle Wise Band. And what I was doing was I was going to join John Namath. And, you know, we were young at the time and we'd been hanging out in San Francisco. We were kind of like drinking buddies and, 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 uh, you know, we had like a real fucking, uh, you know, we thought, oh man, we're the future. We're gonna fuck. We can take over. You know, this is kind of a. I will say in retrospect that you know possibly had an inflated, a romantically inflated perception of, of our importance <laughs> or something like that. You know, uh, but that's you know that's what you like when you're, you know, in your mid twenties. Everything you think of is the most important shit in the world. That's uh, you know, and being drunk all day, and being you know, being just being an active alcoholic like I was, that 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 really makes that you know much worse. So, yeah, I quit Muscle Wise Band because I thought uh, you know I'll get together with Namath and we'll conquer the world. And what ended up happening is that you know I just immediately spiraled so far out of control that uh, that uh, he fired me after an ill-fated North. Pacific Northwestern tour. I literally played with him for two weeks. <laughs> I mean, two bit before. Yeah, it, it didn't take me but two weeks to to for you know for him to see it. You know, to, I mean, I I love the guy and and you know and I still you know. It was just he just he just knew that 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 wasn't gonna work, and I knew it wasn't gonna work for me either. I had nothing to do with him, but I knew that keep to keep going the way I've been going. It's just. It's just going to get worse. And I got, I got to the point where, you know, I would just wake up hungover every day and my nerves, you know, I'll be, you know, I'll be afraid of everything. And, you know, just my nerves from the hangover 
uh, every day was was you know I just always woke up with this impending sense of doom uh, that wouldn't you know, it wouldn't go away until I had you know maybe I'll have a couple of drinks as the day progresses and grad, you know it goes away and you feel you feel all right and you might even feel good for you know for for uh, for a little amount of time but that amount of time shrunk to where you know I I might feel normal for like. 20 minutes in, in, in a tree, you know, uh, I'll, I'll just, yeah, I'll just go from being horribly, uh, you know, anxiety ridden from the hangover. And the next step was, you know, I would, I would drink to get away from that and, and, uh, and end up blackout drunk again and not know what the fuck I did the night before. And, uh, you know, wake up and repeat. It's just that little window when, when I even felt good at all, was had had shrunk so little that I I couldn't even tell if it, you know if there was any any time I I actually felt all right, so that was the best thing he could have done for me was was to fire me. I've never, you know, I've never been mad with him for that, at all. I'm I was actually kind of grateful, um, and, and it was all it was a new low for me. You know, Charlie knew I you know he he he, you know Charlie's a, you know he's a recovered alcoholic himself. He. Uh, he knows what to look for, you know. He, he, uh, he, he could tell, you know, that we had uh, more in common than just uh, we love the blues. But you call Rick. Yes, um, because you're down. I, and I out call Rick because I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was a new bottom. I'd never gotten fired before. I was gonna say, like, with most, I got in trouble a couple of times with Muscle White, uh, but I always sk- skated by, and I'd never been fired, and I got fired, and I. That was, you know, that that was a, you know, personal uh, new low. But in fact, it was just time, you know, it was just time for me to stop anyways because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't going anywhere good and it wasn't fun. And and I had gotten to know Rick in Sacramento and he was um, somebody I liked, you know, very much as a person. I liked hanging out with him. We were kind of, you know, gotten to be friends. Uh, I was married to a woman in Sacramento at the time, so... Um, so, so I, you know, got to see Rick a lot because there's not a whole lot to do there besides hang out with Rick Estrin, and, uh, <laughs> and yeah, so and and you know he knew. I mean, we talked about you know, I thought I had a drinking problem uh, months months before or years before it came up, and we had it because I was always fascinated or you know attracted, you know, curious about uh, you know people who had been through what I was going through and made it out the other side and seemed to actually, you know, not be miserable and enjoy life. I mean, Rick was a fun guy, man. He's a, he, he looks, you know, like he's having fun and he is, mm-hmm. and he's, you know, and he's sober. So he was somebody I thought could help me. So yeah, I called, I called him because, uh, Namath, uh, no, I, I, well, that was, yeah, that was a clincher. Namath had fired me. I called him, Rick up. I was like, oh, Rick, this kid, hey, listen, man, uh, you know, Namath fired me, and uh, I, you know, I think it's time, man. I, I need, you know, I want to stop drinking, and you know, will you, will you help me? Like, you know, I don't know what, you know, I don't know what that means, but you know, but but uh, you know, I, I, I need, I need to do it, and and here we go. So you know, we talked for a while, and and uh, it was it was a great talk. Uh, if it, you know, just stopped, if, if it ended there, it would 
still been a great talk. Um, he told me about, you know, what he would recommend, you know, and, and um, you know, I got the sense that he was going to, you know, he was going to be in help if I was, you know, if I was serious about stopping drinking, you know, and then he mentions, yeah, by the way, little Charlie quit two nights ago on New Year's Eve. You want to start a band? <laughs> he he said, yeah, he, he said that. <laughs> the other thing is, I had put in a phone call in the middle of the night with Namath, you know, when I saw the email, because I got home from another gig, you know, uh, a little bit drunk, and, and uh, saw I got fired. And I still, Bob Welsh, we were roommates at the time, I was like, oh, shit. You know, he ended up actually taking the gig with Namath. That was funny. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so, so, yeah. Yeah, I think I left him a message like, hey, bro, man, I'm so sorry, man. You know, that's not how I fucked up. You know, man, is there any way we can work it out? I, I, I kind of, I, I kind of, left, you know, left the door open for, you know, maybe he'll let my, maybe he'll let me, like, beg and crawl my way back into another chance. <laughs> and he hadn't even returned my phone call. Uh, he first called me back after I'd already talked to Rick. I had another gig already, so, so <laughs> <laughs> that was funny because he was—he called me and he's like, "Yes," and I could sort of tell. I mean, I—I I don't know still, but it, it is my—it th was my theory that he sounded extra mad, so he could, you know, he, he wanted to rake me through the coals and give me a bunch of shit, and then maybe. <laughs> let me, let me, uh, but you know. Rick already asked me to start playing with him, and you know that's who I uh, wanted to play with since I was uh, 18 in Norway and found out he's a pimp anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that I think just speaks volumes of who Rick I, is I, I, to make that offer. Yeah, I, I mean, if I, I'm glad he was right <laughs> because I wouldn't have guaranteed that at the time. You know, I mean, I shit, I called him because somebody else fired me. You know, and and and. Uh, and he ends up hiring me. I mean, it's it's uh, you know, I uh, there was afterwards. I was I was I was I was offered a way back into all my old gigs after you know just a week after I stopped drinking. Them. But uh, I said, man, there's no there's no way this thing with Rick this means something. You know, I could have gone back to Musclewhite. He hadn't even gotten a new guitar player yet, and he was. So kind. Yeah, I mean, he was, uh, you know, still. I'm, not, I'm playing with him, still, with Muscle White, and he's, you know, he's just a wonderful person. Him and Henry, and they, you know, they they offered for me to retract my resignation, which is, you know, unbelievable. But it's the same thing as with Norway. You know, I can't, I can't go back. You know, I mean, I know there was something. There was a, you know, it was definitely this thing with Rick that I call him to have that conversation and we end up that's what ends up happening I can't you know that's you know I don't adhere to one particular like you know religious dogma or anything like that but that's a sign I would wasn't about to ignore you know <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder I mean obviously one of the greatest blues bands um, around and you're replacing 
replacing a guitar player who is so iconic. Well, I, How difficult was that to become Rick Estrin and the Nightcats and you becoming part of that band? Was it easy or was it difficult? You know, it at that point, it I I wasn't scared of it. You know, I I had. Uh, I knew, you know, I mean, me, I knew Charlie real well. We had a, we, you know, we always had a, 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 you know, a relationship that I enjoyed very much. It was kind of like we liked fucking with each other. Uh, and, and, uh, and you guys wound up playing with each other too, right? Oh, many occasions, yeah. I recorded s- several uh, albums for him. We've done, we done gigs together. Actually, right before he died, we had, we had recorded an album with Kike Gomez where we did like half jazz half blues i played upright bass and he played the guitar and uh you know he was a guy whose respect was very hard to win and it took a lot of time uh but it was very satisfying you know when when i when i could see it working you know i I had this felt this kind of bond like you know something familial you know just uh like an uncle but, but also that, you know, that's always uh, that's always pushing your buttons. <laughs> that he was, um, but uh, I mean there was I mean I you know I have the internet, and I I would go on some of the you know sites and of course there's always guys that go eh, you know there will never be anybody like Charlie. It's like and that's true, that you know, that's and I was I knew this. That was the last thing I need to do is to fucking, you know, try and be Charlie or any kind of substitute for Charlie. Right. That's, you know, because, like, is he coming back to, uh, you know, all my, you know, all, all, all the artists I love, all my idols, the, the true idols, you know, they never had any interest in, in, in you know, they all had their own sound. And you could tell it was them when you heard them, right. and 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 you know they added they they brought their own thing to the to the table, and that's you know and I knew that I was going to do that, you know, and I knew me and Charlie had a lot of common ground, but we also had, there was all, a lot of differences, but you know but but I was you know I knew I was going to bring some shit that had not been in the Nightcast before, and then you know. If they hate it, fuck them. <laughs> I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do, you know. I'm gonna, you know, oh, you go be Charlie, motherfucker. That's. <laughs> but that's really not the case. I mean, you guys are touring all over the world, and you have maintained. I didn't mean the band. I meant, the, I meant, yeah. you know, the naysayers because there's, you know, there's always people. Yeah, yeah, for you sure. Know, and, and I yeah. get that. You know, you're a fan of 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 the man. I'm a fan of the man. You know. I was a fan of the band with him in it. I don't even have any interest in, you know, you know, leaving anything open for comparison, you know. Right. That that's that's uh, that's uh But it seems like know. everything has gone smoothly. Like the band has maintained the you know, the, its stature if not grown some. Like you guys have done well. Yeah, we I, I've been it's it's pretty fucking cool, man, because um it was very uncertain in the beginning. I mean, I remember when 
when we did this. And and those were Rick's exact words. I said that he didn't say, you know, you want to join our band. He said, you want to start a band. Hmm. It is what is what uh, Rick said to me. And and um, he was, you know, he was a. Uh, always it was, you know, J Lorenzo and Jay at the time, Jay Hansen, it was, you know, it was it was the Nightcats, and it's a. But we kind of, you know, we kind of, you know, started from scratch in some ways, and and even, you know, there's the thing about when I got in that band, that was very different than what I had been doing. With Namath or with with Charlie or you know, uh, Terry Hank was, you know, he he's he's kind of like family. But I still did, I still didn't know his business. I knew he would pay me something for the gig. I didn't know what the gig paid. Uh, and that goes for most bands, and that's most situations. You know, that's most you know artists with a band. That's their that's their situation. They you know they you know, they know they'll get. A certain amount of money, and they can count on it. But they're not privy to the, the whole deal, you know. When I first, we went on our first trip that we, you know, put that somebody put together with the Nikes, you know, I got an email that says exactly how much every gig paid, and just that blew my mind, because it really is a band, you know, and and it is is it it has evolved, you know. Lorenzo has grown into a, a, a you know. A pivotal role, you know, in the band. He's probably the most important person in the band. Uh, with Little Charlie and I guess Rick was not the band leader. He, you know, he fronted the band. He sang the songs, and after people thought he was Charlie because that's you know, right. that when they go to see Little Charlie and I guess that's the guy who gets up and talks to you, <laughs> you know, and say, "Here's the song I wrote," you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and, and uh, you know, fucking little Charlie, he didn't even have a microphone for saying hi, hello. <laughs> um, but he was the band leader. He was he was the band leader. He made all the decisions. He, uh, you know, it was, it was he he shouldered the responsibility because it, you know it's kind of a, I mean, hell, I don't want that job. But um, <laughs> and 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 you know, neither does Rick. He didn't want it. He didn't want it either. That's why he, you know, when he was in the. You know, with little Charlie, little Charlie was the band leader. He handled all this, all the stuff. You know, Rick, he just liked to chill in the van with the guys and you know write songs, you know, play gigs, for all you know, because but not you know, respond being responsible for a whole bunch of you know this band. The job that Charlie did and then left to Rick is is uh, you know, I mean nobody wanted that job, but somebody's got to do it for it to be a band, and, and Rick really stepped up. And we all did, because, you know, as it turned out after, you know, eventually, like, we all brought something to the table that was, you know, that was pretty useful and helped, you know, the band along. And for each lineup we've had, and we've, you know, we only, we've had three different drummers. And maybe now more than ever with, 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 with DMAR, you know, it's like there's no dead weight in that band. There's there, there are no, you know... There are no duds, <laughs> you know, and, and, and nobody, none of them can be replaced. Right. You know, it's, it's a great band. It's just, they're great guys. I love hanging out with them, you know, and you can, people, 
Yeah, people keep telling us that all the time. He goes, wow, you know, you guys, like, you you look like you're really having fun. You look like you really like each other. You know, like you're having fun together on stage. And I was like, what is that? Is it really that unusual? <laughs> you know, it's like, what the hell do these other bands do? You know? But it's really. It is impressive. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's just, it's, it's real, though. You know, we, we, you know, Rick was saying, uh, we don't have another gig till March, and Rick was like, "What am I going to do? I've had him. I've seen him twice since then. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I, I had him come to a to a thing I did in Oakland last night, and and then I did just did a recording session with Albert Castiglia, um, and uh, and I was like, man, Rick, come and blow some harp, yeah, and he did. I mean, and he, it really, man, Rick is just, he's one. The biggest heart of, of like anybody I've met. He's I know people. You know he, he looks like a, you know he looks like a diabolical used car salesman or something. And, he, <laughs> and he's you know and you know he does have a, a you know if you go way back he's got a bit of a checkered past. But man, that guy is he just has the biggest heart. He's he's the best. You know he, he's one of the kindest. You know most generous and and, and just. And great, just great people to be around, and that's just all truth. I, I actually uh, feel like I'm completely failing at doing an adequate job at, at you know, uh, wording how, how uh, you know, how I feel about him. I mean, just based on the story he told, I, I think it speaks volumes about who he is. I mean, that that, that could have been just stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's like. <laughs> <laughs> I know you have a recording session to prepare for. Um, I really want to talk to you about Greaseland. I do too. You know, you know, is it okay? Like, I, I do want to cover your career as the CEO of Greaseland and all the amazing things you've done. I don't think it can be done in the next few minutes. I know. Could we know. schedule something in the future that we could do? Absolutely. Ab- absolutely. We'll conclude this episode now, and then hopefully sometime in the near future we can get together and talk about your Greaseland uh, studio. Okay. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for doing this. Hey, man. Thank you.